guys. Welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. I am a longtime fashion blogger and a single woman in my 30s who loves to chat all things life, work, and love. So I wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. You can consider the Beck and Call podcast a weekly catch up with your internet bestie, where I discuss recent recs and reviews, answer listener questions, and discuss fun, interesting topics relevant to women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond. Each episode follows the same structure with dedicated segments you can rely on week after week. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. I sort of can't believe it, but this week is my one year anniversary of launching the Beck and Call podcast. I released my very first episode on September 15th last year, and I've published a new episode every week since. From the outside looking in and just as a listener of the podcast, it may not seem like podcasts take much work or much effort but they do, trust me. (laughs) It's so much more than just the recording and editing process. But even just considering that, doing it for a full year feels like a major accomplishment. So thank you to all of you who gave it a chance when I first launched the podcast and to those of you who have found me since and continue to listen. Whenever you start a side project or launch a new venture, you never know how it'll be received or whether it'll even succeed. So And so much of that depends on people just giving it a chance and listening and sharing the podcast with others. So from the very bottom of my heart, thank you for adding the Beck and Call podcast to your weekly podcast lineup. It means so much to me, and I can't wait to see where we go from here. And while we're on the subject of podcast announcements, I wanted to take a little time to remind you guys of a few things. So at the end of each episode, I answer a few listener questions in the Beck and Call segment, and we're running low on those questions. I've gotten such amazing feedback on this segment, but need new questions submitted each week for it to keep going. So if you need advice or just have a random question you want answered, please email info at beckandcallpodcast.com or you can call the hotline and leave a voicemail at 214-620-0473. Like I said, all you have to do is email or leave a voicemail with your question and I'll answer it on a future episode, but definitely keep them coming. I need new questions every week. We are running low, so keep them coming. Next, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider giving Beck and Call a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and writing a review about why you love it. Those ratings and reviews make such a big difference, especially with discoverability within the Apple Podcasts app. It's super easy and only takes a minute to do. All you have to do is open up your Apple Podcasts app, go to the Beck and Call show page, and then scroll down to the ratings and reviews section to submit yours. It is a free way to support the show and help my podcast grow. So thank you to everyone who's done that already. And if you haven't, now's your sign. (laughs) Go do it. And then finally, please be sure to share the podcast with friends, family, or anyone else you think might enjoy it. Word of mouth recommendations are always the best. So thank you to those of you who have already done this. You can also tag Beck and Call Podcast on your Instagram stories when you're listening. That's another super easy way to spread the word. And don't forget to follow the Beck and Call Podcast Instagram account while you're at it. I share a bunch of visual guides, audio clips, behind the scenes stuff from things we've discussed on the podcast. So definitely follow along there. Okay, now that we've gotten that housekeeping out of the way, let's get into my recap of the last week. On Tuesday, my childhood friend Catherine was in town from Austin, so I took the afternoon off work and shopped around with her in Highland Park Village. Normally, with Liza in the office, I'd make plans for after work or on the weekend, if possible, but since she's out, she was out this week, 
Um, it was really awesome. I could meet up with Catherine in mid afternoon. I got work done in the morning and then just met up with her after lunch and we shopped around. We ended up going to Lila Rose and I found the most exquisite dress. I shouldn't have purchased it, but I did. <laughs> it's a pricey one, but I do have two pretty important weddings coming up and I want to look my best. I know there will be photos. And this dress is a metallic pleated midi dress in sort of a burnt orange color. So obviously perfect for Texas, perfect for fall weddings in Texas. It's sleeveless too, which is great since both weddings are in Texas in October. You just never know how hot it's going to be. I absolutely love the neckline on this dress. It's not one I've ever worn before, but I found it to be super flattering to my decolletage. So Anyway, I'm really excited about that dress, but that was the one thing I bought that day and I really should stop shopping. So (laughs) after we shopped around for a bit, we popped up to Park House, which she hadn't been to before. And I've mentioned it a bunch, but if you're new, it's a social club in Dallas, private social club. It's sort of like Dallas's version of Soho House. But we had a few drinks, we had some sushi, and then we hit up the photo booth on our way out. It was just really fun to have her here and kind of take an afternoon off, get to show her around my stopping grounds, and hopefully she'll be here more often. On Wednesday night, I went over to my friend Megan's house with a few friends to watch the new Army Hammer documentary. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it in the Rex and Review segment next, but let's just say it's a wild ride. We only watched a couple of episodes, but I'm eager to finish the rest. It's on Discovery Plus, um, which I don't have, so I guess we'll have to plan another trip to Megan's house to watch the rest of it. But anyway, that was a fun night. Megan prepared kind of a smorgasbord of snacks, and we sat on the floor and just all watched it and hung out together. So. That was a fun night. And then Thursday night, I had dinner with my friend Rachel at Rise, which is a souffle place I've talked about before. But we went specifically for their mac and cheese souffle, which is a seasonal offering they do in the fall. I tried it for the first time last year and was immediately obsessed. Every time I go and order it, I make a point to tell the waiter it should be on the permanent menu in hopes that it gets back to the chef. It is so good, you guys. <laughs> in addition to actual macaroni in the souffle, there's this decadent cheese sauce throughout and a little bacon crumbled on top. So the flavor is off the charts and the texture is different from a typical souffle. So it's very filling too. Seriously, my favorite thing they've ever done. And I eat there a lot. I've eaten so many things on their menu, but that mac and cheese souffle tops the it tops it all it's highly recommend i can't recommend it enough they usually only do the macaroni and cheese souffle for a month or two in the fall so definitely don't wait to try it because it won't be there forever on friday night i got gussied up in my finest western gear for a western themed party at park house i met up with my friends for dinner before we all had sushi we ordered so much sushi and it seemed like an insane amount when it was on the table but somehow we managed to finish it all Park House Sushi is actually very good. It's kind of a recent addition to their menu. I want to say the previous sushi chef. Wow, that was hard for me to say. The previous sushi chef at Nobu, I think, here in Dallas. He's the guy who now does the sushi at Park House. So it's really good sushi. That's what I've been ordering every time I go. But the Western party was really fun. There was a loud and lively country band. They had a bandana station where you could do custom embroidery. They had a photo booth featuring a few mechanical bowls you could sit on. It was really, really fun, but I did manage to pack it in and was home by midnight. I feel like that's the key because even though I didn't wake up feeling a hundred percent, I was still able to do all of my normal stuff. I took Reese's on a walk. I did a morning trip to Central Market to stock up on healthy food for the week. And I had talked to my friends the night before about potentially going to SMU's first tailgate of the season, but none of us ultimately felt like getting ready and being social that afternoon. 
Plus, some of my front gate furniture was delivered, and so my afternoon project became putting those pieces together. So if you've seen my backyard, I've talked about it in Squirrel Gate. I've showed a few photos of it. I have an amazing front gate set up on the extended part of my patio that backs up to the landscaping, which I actually got when I was living in my last house. And when I brought it over to the new house, it ended up being too large for the covered part of the patio. So I pushed it back as an additional seating area that is not covered. The new set I got is from the same Kassara collection from Frontgate, but it's the petite version. So it's meant to be used in smaller spaces, smaller patios, and I think it's going to work out perfectly. I'm still waiting on the love seat to arrive, and I still need to get a little coffee table and potentially a little side table, but I'm excited to have that area ready for entertaining. And I'm glad that, like I said, it's part of the same collection. It's just a smaller version of it. So everything will look cohesive. So once that's done, I'll post a picture. But so far, I only have one chair. I still need the love seat to arrive and the second chair. But I'm really excited to entertain in that area. And speaking of entertaining, I decided to throw another party at my house this fall, this time a Texas OU watch party in October. So I have so much wine and booze left over from my birthday party, I figured I should probably put it to good use. Otherwise, it's just like sitting in my fridge. I I truly don't drink at home. It's very rare that I drink at home. So uh, I've just, I've got all this wine. I've got to use it. So also when I planned my birthday party, I'd ordered two Portacool fans, but ended up canceling them when there was an excessive heat warning because I figured nobody would want to be outside and that the Portacool fans wouldn't make much of a difference if it's like 108 degrees. So Anyway, I reached out to cancel them and I was told that I would be still on the hook for paying for them. So I could either just pay for them and not use them or use the credit another time I wanted fans. So I figured the only time I could do that was to host another party this fall because once it gets cold, the fans will be unnecessary. So Texas OU would, was the perfect idea. Every year the weather is different. Sometimes it's a million degrees, other times it's cool, but I figured this is probably my only other opportunity in the next six months to get my money's worth out of those fans that I rented. I'm going to have a few beer pong tables set up. I'm going to have cornhole and maybe a few other games. I'm going to have the game playing on both the inside and patio TVs and lots of booze. And then I've asked my friends to each bring a party-friendly appetizer, snack, or dessert since I'm taking care of the alcohol. And I am so excited. It's going to be so much fun. The main difference between this party and my birthday, though, I will not be paying for a bartender, fancy invites, flowers, or any rentals, aside from those fans that I'd already previously paid for. This is going to be a much more casual endeavor, but I'm very excited. And I sent the paperless post invites out this past week. So really looking forward to that. I need to buy a bunch of solo cups. Like this is going to be frat party at Merritt's house. Like I'm very excited about it. Anyway, back to my weekend recap on Sunday, a couple friends and I had planned to walk the Katie trail and do brunch at ice house again, like I did last weekend. But my friend Katie sort of injured herself during a personal training session last week and wasn't up for the walk. So we just met there for brunch instead. And that actually ended up being perfect because I was able to bring my dog Reese's with me. She's a French bulldog and it's still too hot out to walk her in the middle of the day. So whenever there's a walk and brunch or brunch outside situation, I don't bring her because she gets overheated really quickly. So I generally just leave her at home. But since we just drove straight to brunch, she got to join and the weather on Sunday was amazing. It is today too. I think the high is only 85 and it was 66 this morning when I walked Reese's. It was so nice. 
Needless to say, sitting outside at Katie Trail Ice House was incredibly pleasant on Sunday, and it was so fun to bring Reese's with me. I know she had a blast. And my friend Katie brought her dog. And of course, there were a bunch of other dogs there and everybody wanted to pet Reese's. She just was getting all sorts of attention. But I'm definitely looking forward to doing more of that once the weather officially cools down. Ice House may just be our new weekly Sunday fun day adventure. It's huge. And I feel like you can always find a seat and it's dog friendly. It's really fun. We had a blast. In other random news this week, I decided to get back on Bumble. So I've been on Raya and have tried Bumble and Hinge over the years and have not had much luck matching with guys I'd be interested in in real life. Earlier this year, I completely deleted and erased my accounts on both Bumble and Hinge, but recently decided to give Bumble another try with one caveat. This time I did not include my career or job title on my profile. I'm not very surprised by this, and I'm a little bummed to say I've gotten way more matches in this last week than I have in years on the apps. (laughs) Most men, at least the ones I'd be interested in dating, are just not interested in dating a blogger, content creator, podcaster, influencer, whatever name I came up with for my job. I feel like it was not something people wanted. And by removing my job completely from my profile, I feel like I've opened myself up to actually meeting more people, which is shitty. I feel that sucks, but this way, at least they can get to know me instead of making a snap judgment based on what I do for a living. I'll eventually obviously have to tell people what I do, but I'm hoping that conversation can be had once we've met in person. My job has never been an issue when I hit it off with people in real life, like when I just meet someone out. It's only ever been a problem on dating apps. So just like I would swipe left on someone, swiping left means you don't want to date them. (laughs) Just like I would swipe left on someone who was shorter than me or my height without getting to know them, people are swiping left on me because of preconceived notions about me and my personality based on my job without giving me a chance. I will say it's given me a lot to chew on in terms of how I've been swiping and maybe things I've been dismissive of and overlooked before, but we'll see what happens there. These matches may not turn into anything, but I just thought it was interesting and wanted to share that just removing my job has made a huge difference. And I'm frustrated by that, but also maybe now, I don't know, maybe now I'll actually get to go out with people because before I just wasn't matching with anyone at all or matching with very few people that I'd be interested in. And even on occasion would match with people and then they'd find out what my job was and then they'd stop talking to me. It's really annoying. (laughs) It's really frustrating. It's like one of the main downsides of having this job but everything else I love about it. So I'm certainly not going to give up my amazing job for any guy. (laughs) Okay, I do have one more random personal update to share, but then I swear I'll move on. If you follow my personal Instagram account, which is Merit Beck, for those of you who are new here, you'll likely know I have been following the Power at Home program on the Sweat app for my workouts these last few months. Before that, I did a program called Fierce at Home. And before that, I did a program called High High Intensity, which is basically BBG, if y'all know what that is, formerly known as. Um, All of those are in the sweat app and the workouts are super challenging and intense. And I love that they are progressive programs. They get more difficult every week and you really do notice changes in your body, which is very motivating. But like I said, very challenging, very intense. And as of this week, I'm on week 14 of Power at Home. And truth be told, I'm really bored. I feel like the last maybe month or two, the workouts feel really repetitive. Each week you have a set of workouts to complete. Some are optional. Some they ask you to do that are, I guess you could call mandatory (laughs) required. 
Um, but there's like two days that are arms related, two days that are legs related, and then an ab day. And then there are a couple of optional workouts on top of that. And I know that sounds like a lot and it is, but they really only are 30 minutes of your time. So I do try to do four or five of them a week. And I really do love the way the classes or whatever each day are formatted. But I've noticed in the last month that the days for arms, for example, feature the exact same workouts as the week before. And so it's starting to get really repetitive and I'm getting bored and I'm like, can we do some other moves? (laughs) Like I'm just, I'm ready to mix it up. And so I've decided to take a break from the sweat app altogether and I'll probably regret it but I just, I need to feel excited about the workouts I'm doing if I'm going to stay motivated to do them. The reason I think I'll regret it though, is because after I quit doing high intensity a few years ago, formerly known as BBG, I feel like I lost a lot of what I built and gained quite a bit of weight. And I know a lot of that has to do with the pandemic because I quit it right as the pandemic was starting. I quit it as I got a Peloton bike. And so then I was only doing Peloton classes and I wasn't keeping up with the strength as much. And my eating habits changed a bit too during the pandemic, but I'm just, I'm nervous this shift is going to mess with my progress. And I've been eating fairly healthy at home lately and my step count is amazing as well. So I'm hoping this change in my workout routine won't feel too drastic. Instead of the sweat app, I'm going to do a mix of Peloton strength workouts and the Sculpt Society classes in addition to all of the walking and Peloton tread classes that I do occasionally. So fingers crossed, I can find the right mix and rhythm that works for me, but that's just sort of a little fitness update for you. Now let's get into some recs and reviews. So the first thing I watched last week was five days at Memorial, which is on Apple TV. And it's based on a true story about the goings on of a hospital the day of and days immediately following Hurricane Katrina's arrival to New Orleans back in 2005. I've seen a lot of violence, gore, and drama in TV and movies over the years, but this was one of the more intense, gut-wrenching shows I've ever seen, and not because there's a lot of violence or a lot of gore. It's just heartbreaking, and I don't know, you just feel like out of control watching it because they are out of control. It just, it's, it's hard to watch. I think partly because there's truth to it, but also, like I said, there's just like a lack of control to the situation that made it feel so overwhelming and terrifying to watch. Even though this is a fictional show based on a true story, you can feel how it would feel so devastating and scary and unpredictable. The hospital didn't have any emergency plans for a flood, but they did for literally everything else, like a bioterror attack, a shooter, a fire. So they were totally unprepared for just the impact that Hurricane Katrina and the flooding of the levees, all of that, you know, it was, it was a nightmare, but, um, it was a really well-made show. I really enjoyed watching it, but it was definitely intense. So check out five days at Memorial on Apple TV, if that's of interest to you. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I went to my friend Megan's house to watch a couple episodes of the new army hammer documentary on discovery plus. I haven't watched all of it yet, but it's clear the bad behavior goes all the way to the top. (laughs) And I should say it's not at all funny. I mean, there are allegations of abuse, sexual abuse, violence, all of this stuff. But his father, grandfather and great grandfather, Armand Hammer, all had their own dirty laundry, which is now being aired in this documentary. There's a lot of controlling behavior, like I said, emotional and physical abuse, sexual deviancies, that kind of thing. I was talking to my friend about the documentary and telling her I thought it was crazy that someone who is already so powerful, wealthy, well-known and attractive needs to exert more control and power over others. And she reminded me of a quote, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The more power you have, the more power you want. 
So even though he had power in the public eye, he clearly wanted more power and control in his personal life, which he then displayed in relationships and encounters outside of his marriage. It's a wild ride. And so much of what is shared in the documentary are things that Army texted and DM'd women on Instagram. It's just, it's insane how comfortable he clearly was putting that messaging out there, knowing how easily it could be shared. I mean, what it must be like to feel that kind of power and not feel threatened, not feel like people are going to use it against you, just being such a narcissist that nobody can touch you. I mean, that's crazy to me. But anyway, I look forward to watching the rest of it. But like I said, it's on Discovery Plus and I don't have that. So I may need Megan to host another watch party for it. Um, it wasn't really a party, but, you know, we all watched it together. So another TV show I started this week is Tell Me Lies on Hulu. It's based on the book by Carola Lovering and tells the story of a young woman who finds herself in a toxic relationship that begins her freshman year of college and continues on for eight years. I don't think I've ever read the book, but the cover looks so familiar to me. So maybe I did and I just forgot about it. But either way, the show is gripping and will definitely keep you on the hook. While it wasn't like so relatable to me because I've never dated anyone who's like a true sociopath, certain behaviors of his are triggering. If you've, I mean, just dating in college, dating 20 year old douchebags, you'll definitely, there will be some relatable moments for you. Um, but I'm convinced after finishing episode three, I'm convinced that Stephen DeMarco is a total sociopath. I cannot wait to watch the rest of it. But again, this show is pretty intense. I mean, there's a lot of sex. It's just, it's kind of hard to digest because you see the way he's treating women and how the women are just falling so easily back into their routines with him when he's just totally playing them. And it's so frustrating to watch, but it's a good show. Definitely check it out. Another show I started over the weekend was actually a recommendation I heard on Bad on Paper podcast last week during their indoor kid episode where they shared a bunch of TV and movie suggestions. And one of their listeners recommended The Expanse for people who enjoyed the book Project Hail Mary, which I absolutely did. The Expanse is on Amazon Prime, and it is a series set in the future where humanity has colonized the solar system. So it's a bit of a sci-fi thriller as you follow three people in different parts of the solar system who find themselves at the center of a conspiracy with the various worlds on the brink of war and various crises that would bring about the demise of each world. So I'm still only on season one, and I will say it's a bit of a challenge to follow. There are just so many characters, so many different places like different space stations, there's Earth, there's Mars that people are living on, there's the belt, different kind of, I wouldn't say political parties, but there are just different groups of people, there's a different language. It's Anyway, it's kind of hard to follow, but I will say I'm really enjoying it. You just have to truly pay attention and not be on your phone because you'll be totally lost. Like there have been some episodes I have to completely start over if I get distracted by something, but I really do like it and I'm continuing on. Um, and it's got great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, so I know it'll be good. I just like I have to fully pay attention when I'm watching it. And then as far as audiobooks go, I just finished a book called Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. It's also a science fiction thriller, but instead of space, we're talking multiple realities and the paths we choose whether or not to take. There's a bit of technology and science talk in this book, but I wouldn't say that's the major focus. Like they sort of breeze past that and move on to philosophical questions about one's life and whether there are alternative realities available to us. I wasn't particularly moved or frightened by this book, but it was an exciting ride. I listened pretty quickly over a few days just on my long walks. And then yesterday I started another audiobook called A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. 
and I am so into it already. It's about a therapist whose childhood was ruined by her father's arrest as a serial killer. He was abducting girls in their small town. And more recently, as an adult, she's a therapist, and there's a recent string of missing girls, one of which happens to be one of her patients. I'm only on chapter 16, but I'm loving it so far, and I'm already cooking up possible people to blame for the newer abductions. Who's the bad guy? Still try to figure it out. Uh, But I love the narrator too, so definitely check this one out if you enjoy audiobooks. here and I could not be more excited. With the temps dropping earlier than expected this weekend, it's really gotten me in the fall mindset. I even bought a pumpkin spice candle at the grocery store this weekend. Super impulse purchase, but what can I say? No regrets. One of my very favorite things about fall is incorporating rich autumn hues into my wardrobe, but with it being so early in the season, it's just too hot to wear most of it. But the next best thing is wearing it on my nails, and that's why I'm so excited to talk about this week's sponsor, Olive in June. Do you want to try out a new fall hue each week, but don't have time to waste at the salon? The Olive and June Manny system features everything you need for a salon quality manicure in one box that you can do all in the comfort of your own home. You can customize your Manny system with your choice of six polishes, all of which can last seven days or more and don't chip. Last week, I used the Caramel Budino shade to match my dress for the Western party, and I absolutely love it. My nails still look so perfect, and the warm caramel hue is on point for the season. I love it. It looks so good on my nails right now. A few other Olive and June shades I'm loving for fall include AW, which is sort of a taupey gray, Cozy Up, which is like a deep red, and then JJ, a spicy cinnamon brown. It's really pretty. All three would be really gorgeous fall colors to add to the mix. Aside from all the gorgeous polish shades that they have, my very favorite part of the Olive and June Manny system is the Poppy. It is a polish bottle handle that provides a sturdy grip that gives you more control for even strokes every single time. As someone who has horrible hand dexterity and could not be trusted to do my own nails before, the Poppy has totally changed the game for me. It is such a genius concept, and I now refuse to do my nails without it. If you're ready to stop wasting money and your precious time at the salon each week, you definitely need to give Olive and June a try. Visit oliveandjune.com slash beck and call for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash B-E-C-K-A-N-D-C-A-L-L for 20% off your first Manny system. To mix things up this week, I thought we'd talk about something a little less serious and a little more fun, namely beauty, skincare, and plastic surgery trends. More specifically, the trends we collectively don't understand. I have my own list, of course, but I also polled the audience on Instagram for your feedback on this topic to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Before we get into it, though, I do want to say that these are just my opinions. I definitely don't want to offend anyone, but wanted to say that up top because we all have different aesthetic preferences and opinions on beauty, skincare, plastic surgery, etc. You may love some of the trends that I hate and vice versa, and that's totally okay. I definitely have more of a classic approach when it comes to beauty, skincare, and plastic surgery and rarely try out trends in these areas. I just generally prefer a more natural look, whatever the case may be. So just wanted to say that up top. But thanks to social media, I feel like certain trends become so overdone and overused that they eventually become commonplace. People are all starting to look the same. 
I was recently listening to the Blonde Files podcast where she talks about this, and she's clearly one of my new favorite podcasts since I keep talking about it. You definitely should listen. I love her podcast. And in one episode, she was talking about how we as a society are forgetting what real people look like and how our expectations and perceptions of beauty have changed thanks to the many filters social media provides, as well as the plastic surgery that celebrities and influencers and the like are getting but not copying to. And we're training people to think that these highly edited, filtered, and tweaked faces and bodies are what normal people look like. Because of this, we all now have to deal with ridiculously high expectations that are impossible to live up to, at least without spending a great deal of money. So with all of that said, let's chat about some popular beauty skincare and surgical trends that we're all confused about or just sick of seeing at this point. One of the biggest trends I've seen this year that I simply don't get is that of eyebrow lamination. If you've never heard of it, eyebrow lamination is the practice of perming your eyebrows to provide a fuller, more even look. But what they do is they basically just brush your eyebrows straight up. And they're not filling in your brows. They're just perming the hair you currently have on your eyebrows and making them stand at end, stand straight up towards your forehead. And so there's something about it that looks like a doll's eyebrows painted on, like little brush strokes, because they're like individual. And it doesn't really make them look thicker. It just makes them look weird. I don't know. I just, I can't hop on board this trend. I don't really understand it. I don't understand why people love it so much. I just prefer a full filled in brow. (laughs) I don't understand the pointy straight up look of these laminated eyebrows. Another eyebrow trend that you guys submitted on Instagram is that of bleached brows. So as someone who has already got naturally platinum eyebrows, this one hits a little different for me because I've already got them. (laughs) So it wasn't until college that I actually started filling in my brows and knew how to do that. And holy shit, did it make a difference? I look like an entirely different person without my brows filled in. I am a natural blonde and it's not a great look on me. Like I don't love the way I look without my eyebrows filled in. So I would say it's not a trend that would look great on most people, especially people who don't have blonde hair. It's really jarring and kind of looks alien-like. I I don't know. It's hard to describe, but the Kardashians have all done it. If you Google Kendall Jenner or Kim Kardashian, they've all done the bleach brow look. It's, It's weird. I would not recommend it. Another eyebrow trend that has been popular for quite a few years now is microblading, which is the process of applying semi-permanent tattoo to fill in and darken your eyebrows. More often than not, though, I think the ink that they use is far too dark on everyone and makes each person's eyebrows look incredibly severe and unnatural because it's always so much darker than the person's color. I totally get wanting to do something to make your day-to-day easier. So like if your brows are something that you fuss with every day and you don't want to have to, and you just want them to look good, I am all for finding solutions to make your day easier. But I feel like so more often than not, I feel like they don't turn out great. Like I feel like it just, like I said, is too dark, too severe. It obviously lasts a while. So if they fuck it up, it's semi-permanent. There's not much they can do to fix it until it just kind of wears out. So that gives me anxiety. I wouldn't want to put anything semi-permanent on my face that I couldn't just like wipe off if it didn't work out. Um, So that kind of gives me anxiety as well. I also just prefer a more natural look overall. And I'm probably going to repeat that like a billion times because in all of these trends we're talking about, it's all stuff that's like over the top. It's too much. And I feel like sometimes with microblading, it's just too dark, too severe, the wrong color for somebody's face. um, And it just doesn't look right. 
While we're on the subject of unnatural, let's chat overly filled lips. I am a big fan of Botox and would definitely get filler if I needed it. So please don't think I'm above plastic surgery and making tweaks to things. I am 100% here for all of it. (laughs) For example, I'd love to get lipo (laughs) one of these days on my abdomen and saddlebag areas. Like I would love to do that. That is definitely high on my list. So I totally understand wanting to touch up areas and completely get why people might want a little lip filler to boost what they've already got or just even things out. But I do think a little goes a long way and people overdo lip filler so easily. (laughs) Anything you do to your mouth totally changes your face. And this is something I experienced with veneers. Your smile is everything. So if you change your teeth or you change your lips, it changes the way you look, the way you smile, the way you talk. It's obvious and very noticeable, even if you do just a small tweak. What I'm not here for is the insanely oversized fake looking lips, which I definitely feel like was influenced by the Kardashians. I truly can't fathom why anyone would want to look like that. Just these huge duck lips that don't move prop, like the way I'm even making my mouth shape right now. Just, it's already changing the way I'm talking. Like this is not normal. <laughs> even just pretending to do the duck lips changes the way I'm talking. So I, I can't imagine it's comfortable either. So one thing that I always cringe looking at on Instagram is when some like an influencer with heavily filled lips is doing a makeup video or tutorial and applying lipstick or lip gloss. And it looks like they can't even feel their lips when they're applying it because they're puckering. And it's like the pout looks so exaggerated because the lips are so overfilled that it just looks uncomfortable. It looks like there's probably a lack of sensation in them. It just looks so strange to watch somebody with those huge lips apply any lip product. I I dare you to go watch one. It's, It's fascinating, but also very uncomfortable to watch at the same time. It just doesn't look natural. And I guess it's also a little sad to me that people think such a warped appearance, like those huge duck lips that are clearly not natural, looks attractive. They just feel so over the top, so overdone. And I'm just, I'm ready for that trend to go away. It feels like a constant filter on Instagram or Snapchat is on your face and not in a good way. While we're on the subject of lips, a lot of you are annoyed by people who paint outside their lip line to make their lips appear bigger. So maybe not people with filler, but people who are kind of just trying to fudge it a little bit. So applying lip lipstick, lip gloss, liner beyond the edge of their lips. It's one of those things that just feels wrong. I've actually tried this on myself before at home, but didn't go anywhere. I immediately wiped it off because it just feels like those products aren't supposed to be there. I don't know. It's like they're made for your lips. You don't want the gloss on your skin outside your lips. It just feels and looks weird. It looks bizarre. It seems like one trend that's actually starting to fade that was also influenced by the Kardashians is that of BBL or the Brazilian butt lift. Many have accused the Kardashians of culturally appropriating a body type that is natural for black and Latina women. And maybe this is just me, but I personally can't relate to wanting anything on my body bigger. Maybe it's because I've struggled with my weight over the years, but I also have big boobs, big saddlebags. I've got somewhat of a butt. I've always struggled with wanting things to look smaller. I eventually would love to get a reduction and a lift, a breast reduction, but like I said, lipo has always sounded pretty great to me. With all of that said, I can understand why a more petite person or someone without curves or a lot of curves might desire a boob job or even some work on their derriere, 
But the Kardashians made the oversized ass in BBL practice so popular, even though they've always claimed theirs are natural, which none of us believe, by the way. But more recently, it looks like their butts have gotten smaller, maybe a reverse BBL. So now people are getting their BBL reversals. And so that trend is going away. It's kind of, it's just wild to me, the influence the Kardashians have on people. It's, it's mind boggling. Like any change they make, people will jump right onto that trend. One trend that got submitted a lot on Instagram was that of eyelash extensions, which I feel like this was a really big trend like five or so years ago, but I don't feel like I see as much of it anymore. Like, I feel like I can count on one hand the number of people I personally know who get eyelash extensions consistently. It just, I feel like it had its heyday already and it kind of looks dated now. I've always had great success with eyelash serums, specifically new lash. So I've never felt the need to get eyelash extensions or get fake eyelashes, um, glue them on or anything like that. When done right and for the right occasion, eyelash extensions can look amazing, but so many people who do them go with a more over the top look or don't keep up with the maintenance that's required to keep them looking good. So they'll end up looking lopsided or spider lashy or like oddly placed. I hate to be repetitive, but again, it's when they look fake that they look bad. This isn't really a trend, but more so a thing beauty influencers do that irritates me. So when they film an everyday makeup look or a no makeup makeup look that features a ton of product, contouring, or anything that takes longer than five minutes, it just, it drives me crazy because so many of the beauty videos I see on Instagram require layer upon layer of makeup. Who has time for that? Also, I, I feel like most people do don't cake on makeup like that. I feel like most people are looking for a more lightweight approach. I know I can't speak for everybody and I'm sure everyone has different skin issues and things that they want to cover up, but I can't imagine that people want to cake on makeup every single day like that for special occasions. Sure. But I doubt most of the population is time to contour every single morning before work. (laughs) Anyway, those tutorials that are kind of touted as every day or no makeup makeup look when they have all of these different steps, cake on a lot of makeup, do contouring. That's a no for me. (laughs) The last trend on here you guys submitted on Instagram was lip liner that's way darker than the lip and not filled in. I would have to agree. I don't really understand wearing a dark liner and a light lipstick. I personally prefer a more blended look and find that to be the most attractive option. The, uh, Really heavy liner, light lipstick look is giving very 90s Pam Anderson and J-Lo vibes to me. Don't get me wrong. I love J-Lo's beauty looks now. She's got great taste. But in the 90s, she was doing this dark liner and really light lipstick, didn't blend it. And that was a bad look. It just was. The dark liner and unfilled lips look just feels tacky to me. I'm not a fan. So I totally am validating you. (laughs) I agree. It is a bad look. As I've said before, I'm not a trend chaser. I prefer more natural classic looks, both in terms of style and in terms of beauty. I often find these looks age better, especially when looking back at old photos. Have I cringed at some of my old hairstyles and outfits? Sure. But aside from that, I don't have a lot to look back on and regret in terms of like the way I've looked or choices I've made about my appearance. I'm glad I haven't hopped on the bandwagon of every beauty trend, and I'm certainly happy I didn't alter my appearance for something fleeting like a Kardashian ass or these huge lips that are just too insane. I can't even. But anyway, I thought I thought this was a fun topic to cover. I hope you guys liked it. It was just silly and fun. But if you have any more questions or want me to 
chat on any of these topics more like plastic surgery or beauty or skincare, let me know. Would love to hear it. You can call into the hotline at 214-620-0473 to let me know or ask questions or whatever. We have made it to the beck and call segment. This is the listener Q&A and advice segment I do every week. I usually answer one voicemail and two emails, but I do not have any more voicemails. So this is your sign to call in. If you have a question, the number is 214-620-0473. You can also submit questions over email to info at beckandcallpodcast.com. Let's get into the first email. Hi, Merritt. I love following along on Instagram and the podcast and everywhere you go to eat. I'm going to be in Dallas for a retreat in a few weeks and will be on my own for dinner when I arrive on Thursday. Of your favorite restaurants, which would you recommend as the best spot to dine alone? Thanks for any tips. Thanks for writing in. So my suggestion would be Shinsei. I feel like it's a great spot to dine alone because you can sit solo at the sushi bar and probably get in even if you don't have a res. It's a fairly large restaurant, and even though it's usually pretty busy, I bet they always have at least one bar seat open at the three bars in the restaurant. There is a main cocktail bar downstairs right when you enter. There is a sushi bar downstairs as well in the second room over, and then there's a smaller bar upstairs, so lots of spots for a single diner to sit. While I definitely recommend making a reservation if you know what time you want to eat, I bet as a solo diner you can just walk right in and they'll be able to accommodate you because of all that bar space. Plus, the food is fantastic. Whether you want to try a few smaller plates and sushi rolls or you prefer a starter and entree setup, they've kind of got options for whatever kind of eater you are. It's not just sushi either. They have amazing hot dishes like miso glazed cod, bao buns, Thai fried rice, lots of vegetables. They have salads. They have so much. So definitely recommend that place, especially as a dining alone spot. Before we get into the next question, just a reminder to call the hotline or send us an email with your questions. The phone number is 214-620-0473. And the email again is info at beckandcallpodcast.com. Hi, Merritt. Your podcast is such a fun and easy listen that I look forward to each week. I haven't followed you before the podcast, but I love your classic fashion sense now that I follow on Instagram. I have never loved fashion. I actually hate shopping and get so exhausted by it. I also struggle with winter clothes and feel like I'm always wishing it was shorts and dress weather. I wonder if you can share some ideas for a winter wardrobe that doesn't involve sweaters. They just don't seem to fit my body type so well. I love jeans and boots, but never know what to wear on top besides a hoodie. I also love dresses, but admittedly have never bought a winter dress and try to wear tights with my summer stuff. Probably a fashion sin, but I can't figure out what will keep me warm, comfy, and somewhat fashionable. Any advice would be welcome. Thanks. Thank you so much for writing in. I'm always so excited to hear from listeners who didn't follow me before the podcast. Makes me feel a little more validated in this podcasting journey because like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you never know how launching a new venture will be received. I expected some of my current Instagram followers and blog readers to hop on board and enjoy it, but I did have a fear that people who didn't already know or follow me simply wouldn't care or like it. So thank you for giving my podcast a chance, and I'm so glad you're enjoying it and also enjoying my fashion content as well. Now onto your question. I totally hear what you're saying, and you're certainly not the first person to feel this way. 
While I love sweaters, not all are created equal and some just are not flattering on my frame. The same way certain necklines and details on tops or dresses don't work for everyone, the same can be said for sweaters too. So for example, anything overly ruffled or puff sleeved accentuates my chest and arms, which is an area I'm always trying to minimize. So I generally avoid styles with lots of ornate details, things that might make my chest area or arms look bigger. Um, I generally avoid that stuff. It also comes down to the fabric used. If it's a really, really thick sweater, like alpaca, wool, really thick cashmere, that is also going to accentuate those areas that I'm trying to minimize. So I generally prefer a thinner sweater style, especially because I like to layer those items under trenches and jackets and coats and ponchos. I think the important thing here is you need to try different styles, necklines, sweater weights, Just try a bunch of different styles to see what you like most on your frame. I can't imagine there are no sweaters out there that look good on you. And I have to imagine there are sweaters out there that are more attractive on you than a hoodie. A hoodie is not going to be my choice to pair with jeans and boots. That would be my absolute last choice of a topper. So throw that hoodie out or at least save it for athleisure looks. Don't pair a hoodie (laughs) with jeans and boots. And I say that with the utmost respect and kindness. Do not do that. So with that said, if you're not interested in thick sweaters or ones with big sleeves, I might suggest finding more lightweight knits that fit more like a regular top, something more fitted versus something oversized and loose hanging on your frame. For example, I have a couple of knits like this. Both are by Massimo Duty. They're a few years old, but they are a mock neckline, feature three quarter sleeves, and the material is thin. I think it's like a jersey. One of them feels one of them feels more like a sweater and one of them's more like a fine knit. Um, but they're still, they're slightly thicker than a t-shirt, but don't feel summery and they're not overbearing and shapeless like a regular sweater might be. They're more fitted styles that I tuck into jeans and skirts and style under any kind of jacket, blazer, trench, poncho, etc. So that's certainly one route you can take and try. Just think of them like a fall winter t-shirt. So how you would style a t-shirt, you would style these kind of finer knits. A few brands that have similar styles right now, either like a t-shirt shape in a knitwear fabric, or like I was saying before, the mock neckline three-quarter sleeve thing. And Taylor has one right now. Massimo Duty has one. Mango has a few similar styles. I didn't see a mock neck, but like I said, it kind of is shaped like a t-shirt with um, kind of a fine knit fabric. I'll link a few of those on the Beck and Call podcast Instagram page for you to check out. Now, if dresses are just more your speed and you've just you don't want to try sweaters or these other fine knit tops that I'm talking about, you need to invest in some fall winter dresses. They don't have to be sweater dresses, but you should be choosing fabrics, colors, and prints that feel seasonally appropriate. Don't try to make your summery dresses work by styling them with tights. That's definitely not a look I would recommend. And this may be an unpopular opinion, and I certainly don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but I cringe when I see people wearing those Hill House smocked dresses, at least the summery ones, over tights and turtlenecks. If you're going to wear the velvet ones that they make in the winter or the ones that are a heavier fabric, like a jacquard fabric, fine. But like a cotton one, don't style that over a turtleneck. Don't wear it with tights. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I understand people want to be comfortable, but there are plenty of dresses out there that would be just as comfortable and would look more appropriate given the season, time of year, all of that. But like I said, that's just my opinion, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. My suggestion would be to go to a few websites like Nordstrom, Mango, maybe Massimo Duty, and order a few very different styles of dresses to try from their new fall arrivals. 
Like I said, with the sweaters, you won't know what looks good on you until you try a bunch on and see what works and what doesn't. I can certainly link a few suggestions on the Beck and Call podcast Instagram page, but at the end of the day, you just really need to start experimenting with different styles and necklines in fall colors, prints, and fabrics. If you really hate shopping, though, and this sounds terrible to you, you might consider hiring a wardrobe consultant who would do all of the shopping for you. They would take stock of what you already have and don't have and be able to suggest items that make sense with the items you do have. So that might be a good investment if you really do hate shopping and don't have or just don't have time for it. So that's something to consider. And then to answer your other question, which was about kind of what tops you would wear that aren't sweaters. So if again, if you're against sweaters, if you're not wanting to find dresses, Um, A lot of people do like flannel button down tops with quilted vests. That's sort of a preppy look for the fall for more casual stuff. Um, Or you could do things like me where I wear like the lightweight knit or even a T-shirt and a trench and ponchos, um, cardigans over that, which I guess is technically a sweater, but it's not like a pullover sweater. But wear a lighter weight item like a top, like a blouse or a button up or a fine knit T-shirt or something like that, and then layer it with jackets and that kind of thing. So it's not just a um, loose, ill-fitting pullover sweater. You've got a little more structure with a jacket or some kind of topper like that. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, please be sure to rate and review the Beck and Call podcast on Apple Podcasts and be sure to share it with your friends. You can also follow along on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast for episode visual guides, audio clips, and more behind the scenes content. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you guys next week. Bye.